that's a new song for us, but aren't those great words? Words that remind us that we serve a God of grace whose arms are wide open. And he's calling his children home. Well, this morning we began, uh, as I have uh, told you now for a while, we began in, a, in, a, in a, just a brief series that's called Faith in Action. I, um, I was driving through Priest River yesterday, and I don't know if you've been over there uh, recently, but it seems like they're doing uh, a bunch of work on the streets in the city, and there were detour signs uh, all over the place. And, and I don't know about you, when you come to a, a detour, um, if you get really excited about the detour, or if you get a little anxious about the detour, because you're not sure where the detour is going to take you, or you might be frustrated a little bit. Uh, not a lot of people see the detour sign and go, yes, I'm just ready for this adventure, uh, because you're usually on your way somewhere, and it's going to mess up your schedule. But What if you were driving along and you saw two road signs? One that said, detour ahead, and the other that said, take your usual route. That's completely your choice. You get to choose which one you're going to take. Now, my guess is that most of us here are going to take the usual route. Because the usual route is the one that we know. And we know that the detour, we don't know where it's going to lead us, but we do know this. It's probably going to cost us. Probably going to cost us some time, probably going to cost us some money, probably going to cost us some frustration. So this morning, we're going to talk about detours. Not necessarily the detours that you encounter when you're out driving on the road, but the detours that you encounter when you are traveling the highway of life, life detours. Now, some of those detours come your way, and you can't get out of the way. There are things that that there's no way to do anything different. Things like an illness, or a layoff from a job, or a difficult life circumstance. But there's other times in your life when you're going along your normal path and and you can have a choice. You can either continue on the usual way or you can take a detour. And oftentimes that detour is in helping someone else. So this morning we're going to look at a person in the Bible who took a detour, who chose to take a detour. Probably one of the most, if not the most recognizable stories in in all of the Bible. Even folks who, who don't have much experience with church have heard the term the Good Samaritan. So we're going to spend some time this morning in Luke chapter 10. I'd invite you to turn and open to that, and and I'm going to uh, read in little bits and pieces as we journey along this morning. There's actually some, if you read back a little bit from the parable, there's some things that are taking place here that lead up to this moment that Jesus tells this famous parable. There's a lawyer or an expert in the law who is trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to to test his knowledge of the law. He's trying to embarrass Jesus, maybe even get him in trouble. But Jesus knows that while this this guy is an expert in knowing, he's not an expert in doing. You see, it isn't just enough to know the right thing. You have to be someone who actually does the right thing. There are many people who walk a good, who talk a good talk, but not necessarily walk a good walk. I read the story this week of Johnny Lechner. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin uh, with his undergraduate degree after going straight 12 years uh, in order to get through. I felt bad for taking four and a half uh, to get through. Lechner says, the only reason I'm stopping after 12 years is I'm out of money. He says, I'm broke. But if I could afford it, I'd just stay in school. He says, it's a good gig. He says, it's pretty laid back. Um, People cook you meals. Uh, You hang out with these educated people. He said, it's not at all like the real world. He says, I've loved every, all 12 years of it. 
What would you do if 29-year-old little Johnny was your son after 12 years? I'm guessing you would probably advise him it's time to grow up. It's time to, to, to get out into the real world. It's time to contribute a little bit. But when it comes to Christianity, a lot of people live their life like Johnny Lechner. They stay in a safe environment. They do all of the Bible studies. I mean, they, they're, they're studied up, but, but they never go out into the real world and put into practice what they know. So let's spend a little time looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 29. This is an important verse because we, we already know up to this point that, that the lawyer is trying to trick Jesus up. But verse 29 also helps us understand the lawyer has another motive as well. 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In the characteristic lawyer fashion, he, he wants to defend himself by narrowly defining one word. He says, what's your definition of neighbor? Now, the classic interpretation, and if you know this story, you might have heard this before, the, the classic interpretation, the Jewish interpretation of the day, was one's neighbor was, was someone who was near now, that included geography, but not just geography. It was near in, in, in race, near in religion. And so when the lawyer is asking this question, he, the lawyer's definition of love means you love someone who is of your own race and of your own religion and, and has some geographic um, similarities to you, and that's how you follow the law. If a person doesn't fit any of those three qualifications, they're not your neighbor, and the law of love does not apply. Well, the Bible tells us the lawyer's first motive is to test. But now we hear the lawyer is trying to justify himself, to justify his own life. Reminds me of of the story of W.C. Fields, who was on his deathbed and uh, had not been one for religion in his life, but a friend came in and found him on his deathbed reading his Bible. And he said, Sir, what are you reading your Bible for? And W.C. Fields said, I'm looking for loopholes. Fields was looking for a loophole. He wanted to know how little could he do. He's trying to justify his inaction. And that's the key to understanding Jesus' response in this passage. The the problem with the man's question is he's trying to justify how not to love his neighbor. Even though he knows the second greatest command is to love. Now, if we're honest, this is not just the lawyer's problem You and I suffer with the same problem. We are often trying to justify ourselves for not helping others. We tell ourselves that that someone else can do it, or or it's too dangerous, or or it's too involved, or it's too time-consuming because I already have something on my calendar, or I don't have enough money to do it, or, you know, the people that we're trying to help, really, they should get their act together a little more before we get involved. Read on. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, before we read the rest of the story, I want you to notice the the cast of characters that's there. You have the robbers. You have the one who who was robbed, who was beat up, who's left half for dead. And and then you have three main characters. The first is the priest. The office of priest 
priest in Israel was of supreme importance. It was a high rank. Next, you have the Levite. He's not as important as the priest, but he's still a temple official. So far, Jesus has mentioned a priest and a Levite. Now, the original hearers of Jesus' story would have expected that the third person would be a Jewish man. But the third character is a huge surprise to them. Jesus says the third character is a Samaritan. It's like Jesus is telling a story. There was a papa bear, there was a mama bear, and there was a skunk. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Because of their history and racial and religious contempt between these groups, they were always fighting, and sometimes it was even violent. But by using the Samaritan as a hero, Jesus is pointing out that it doesn't matter what your label is. And I think the same is true of us in some ways. I read a study recently that that Barna did that said uh, 84% of Americans identified themselves as Christians. 84% identified as Christians. But then I asked myself, and I would ask you, do you see 84% or, or a little over 8 in 10 of the people that you encounter living lives that honor the God who created them, living in the, in, in the steps, in the fruit of the Spirit at work in their life. Verse 33 again, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 34, he went on to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus uses the example of the Good Samaritan to show us that a person who can look beyond their excuses to stop and help. The Good Samaritan chose to go off the usual route, decided to take the detour on the highway of life. So in the little bit that we have left, I want to just look at that detour for a moment. First, it's a detour that took a risk. The town of Telluride, Colorado, uh, is known for being a great resort town, a ski town, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, It had a reputation in the Wild West days. It It was full of robbers. It was full of all kinds of crime. In fact, the very name of the city is a contraction of to hell you ride. The 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho had the same reputation, similar kind of infamous name. Because of all the number of robbers that were there upon that road, this road has a name as well. It was called the Way of Blood. Makes you want to go out and buy a house on that street, doesn't it? I live at 210 the Way of Blood. I mean, that's a rough neighborhood. The road descends some 3,300 feet through the desert and the rocky country. It's an easy place for bandits to hold out, and and the robbers there are dangerous. Even if they don't have very much, they're going to rob you. They're going to take your clothes. They're going to beat you up. They're going to leave you for half dead. And the people that are listening to Jesus' story, they understand that. And when the Samaritans stop to help, the Samaritan knew he's on the dangerous road. He knows he's on the way of blood. He, he, he's traveled this road. He, he, he knows that, that there are robbers there. And now, by stopping, he's even made himself a, a possible victim of the robbers. But the Good Samaritan didn't use risk as justification not to act. Sometimes we justify ourselves in not helping someone because we're afraid to risk. 
Now, I admit there are times that, that are too big to risk. You know, like you're driving through the desert and the sign says, Department of Corrections says, do not pick up a hitchhiker. And, and there's a guy there in an orange jumpsuit with handcuffs on. Now, picking him up is not only high risk, that's probably dumb. All right? That's not what I'm saying. Our problem is not that we take too many risks in our life. Our problem is that we don't take risks in our life. Martin Luther King Jr., when he was looking at this passage, said this. He said, the question that the priest and the Levite ask is, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The question that the Samaritan asks is, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? If you're going to love your neighbor, don't use risk as an excuse to hold back. Second, the detour took personal involvement. When the Samaritan saw the wounded man, he doesn't go over on the other side of the road, try to walk, try to avoid him. Instead, he has sincere compassion for him. He bandages up his wounds. Did you think about that? Was he carrying bandages with him? Probably not. Where did they come from? He probably had to tear his own clothes. He probably had to take his head covering, his outer garment. He probably had to use those to bind up those wounds. He takes oil, olive oil, and he pours it over to keep the wound soft. He takes wine, pours it over uh, to, to keep it from getting infected. This traveling Samaritan is getting personally involved. This past Christmas morning, we were at our home and uh, opening presents, and my phone rings, and it's my brother who says that my mom is in an ambulance and she's on the way to the hospital. And my mom, who lives in Spokane Valley, was out walking her dog Christmas morning. And the apartment complex had not, uh, because it's Christmas morning, they weren't working and they had not put the ice stuff out uh, on the parking lot. And she went down, hit her head so hard, had a concussion. Couldn't get up. And as she laid there, she said three cars drove by while she laid there. She said one driver made contact with her the whole time, watched her the whole time as he drove by. So with the dog in one hand and and the leash with her other hand, she was able to get her phone out and she got the phone and she was able to call for help. Now her apartment complex doesn't advertise housing for priests and Levites, but I think there were some there and apparently no Samaritans. Some people use the excuse of not wanting to get personally involved But the Samaritan didn't use that excuse. He didn't wait for somebody else to act. He didn't call 911. He didn't phone the pastor and tell him to take care of it. He didn't just write a check. He got involved. He had compassion. He got down in the ditch with the man. You think about that. By the time he was done and he got out of the ditch, he was dirty and he was bloody himself. See, if you're going to love your neighbor, you can't use personal involvement as an excuse to hold you back. Third, it was a detour that took time. The Samaritan didn't use a time schedule as an excuse to help. He took the time to stop. You got to think that he's on his way somewhere. He has now messed up his schedule. He's now slowed down his schedule. He's given up his donkey so that the man has a place to ride. There's no emergency room. He's got to take him to the inn himself. He's got to take care of him. He stays up and watches him all throughout the night. Sometimes... We use our schedules to justify not helping people in need. In fact, if we're honest, it's probably the biggest excuse that we do use. I wish I had time to tell you about this Princeton University study that I read, but but their conclusions will not surprise you. In essence, it showed that that if someone who who was not uh, scheduled or someone that didn't think that they were in a hurry ran across somebody who was in deep, dire physical need, 
passed out, coughing, bleeding, struggling, 63% of people will stop. In contrast, when someone is tied into their calendar and they are in a hurry, only 10% stop. 90% of people will walk by when they're in a hurry, even if somebody is in deep physical distress. What the study is suggesting is that we can be a people who say the right things, but it's our actions that really mean the right thing. That we have this idea that we get so wrapped up in in our calendar and in our must-do-this and must-do-that kind of ways that we miss the opportunity to be compassionate or to help someone who is in need. When it comes to helping those in need and loving our neighbors, your greatest ability is your availability. If you're going to love your neighbor, don't use the excuse of the calendar to hold back. And finally, number four, it was a detour that took money. If you read between the lines, the Samaritan merchant, I think he probably traveled this road on a regular basis. I think he was a regular, a frequent stayer at the inn because he gives the, the innkeeper the money to take care of him. He gives him the money that he has. Apparently, he doesn't know what all the bill is going to be. But the innkeeper must know him well enough that he trusts him. And he says to him, you know what? The next time through, I'll take care of the bill. I'll reimburse you for any of the cost. See, the Samaritan didn't let finances hold him back as an excuse not to act. I read this story in the news about John Michael. He was a teenager who was hit by a car on his bicycle, and his arm was all scraped up, and he's bleeding and bleeding on his forehead, and he goes into the fast food restaurant that was out on the street there, and he asks for some ice because he's bleeding. And they get him a cup of ice, and, and they say, oh, that'll be 95 cents. Oh, and five cents for tax. He's sitting there bleeding, and they're charging him for this cup. John Michael said, I'm probably not going back to that restaurant again. See, sometimes we justify not helping because somehow it's going to hit us in the pocketbook and it might even take away something that we want. The Samaritan didn't use that as an excuse. He made financial sacrifices for the man that was in need. Margaret Thatcher, the prime minister once of Britain, said this about this parable. She said, no one would have remembered the good Samaritan by his intentions, but he backed it up with his money. Many times it does take money to help your neighbor that's in need. In a season where giving to the church and nonprofit helping agencies are declining, don't forget that sacrificial giving is the Bible's call. So, did Jesus answer the question, Who is your neighbor? He did. That your neighbor isn't somebody who just geographically lives around you, your neighbor is anyone in any place in need. But you notice that Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to ask the lawyer the question, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. In other words, Jesus changed the whole focus of the question. The question that that, that started off is not the question we end with. The the first question that, 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 that was trying to be asked is, who is my neighbor? Jesus changes that. To what kind of neighbor am I? What kind of neighbor are you? Let me ask you and and feel free not to answer out loud. Would you want yourself as a neighbor? 
Would you want yourself to show up on the scene when you're in struggling and you're in trouble? Or, or, or would you just be on your normal route and take a, then, rather than take the divine detour? Because you understand that, that Jesus says that loving God and loving neighbor, that's the path he's called us to. That's the path if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. And oftentimes, it's the detour path. The good Samaritan disadvantaged himself to advantage someone else. Jesus disadvantaged himself to advantage someone else. We as Christ followers have the privilege of disadvantaging ourselves to advantage someone else. Our spiritual journey calls us to go beyond our to-do lists and our calendars and into a faith-in-action kind of lifestyle of divine detours, opportunities to, to share God's love with people that come across our path. Last week, if you were here, you, you were challenged. We were talking about love in action. And I sent you away with a challenge. The, the challenge was to choose two people in your life that are tough to love and to somehow show them love this week. I'd love to hear stories of how that went. And for some of you, I just reminded you what the challenge was last week. You, that still counts. But if you're up for it, let me leave you with another challenge today. The challenge to get off the beaten path. It doesn't have to be anything big, but, but visit someone in the hospital. Take a plate of spaghetti to a widow or a widower in, in your neighborhood. Volunteer to babysit for a single mom. Inconvenience yourself to help the church serve the community. Decide up front that this week you will take a divine detour, take action, love your neighbor. It could be an interruption or a divine detour that would allow you to bring the very presence of Christ into somebody's life. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss the chance to be who God has called you to be because we're so into the usual road. The God of the universe will give you an opportunity this week to take a detour. The God of the universe wants to use your hands and your feet to change the world. So what will you decide this week? Will you choose the usual way or the God-directed detour? It could make all the difference for somebody, but I think it makes all the difference for you. Would you stand? Father, we're thankful today that you have been with us in this place. We've been had a chance to come together and recognize our need for you and to sing words that, that really matter, like recognizing your kingdom is here and we're a people who follow, that worthy, worthy is the lamb, to be reminded that there are no outsiders, that we are your children and you love with grace and mercy. So, Lord, would you help us to be people who look like that as well? Would you help us this week that when the, when the detour shows up, and it probably will, that we would be a person who chooses now, I'm going to choose your way. I'm going to choose to be one who loves my neighbor. I'm going to choose to be one who says, all that I have, my plans, my calendar, my belongings, my stuff, my hopes, my dreams, they're yours. They're not mine. So, Lord, use me how you will. Sometimes, 
God, I think sometimes we want to do things for your kingdom, and we think it's got to be some kind of huge thing that makes the newspaper or something. Help us this week just to find the little detours in which we can love and be your hands and feet. Help us this week to be reminded, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who is yet to come. Bless us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you go.